Today's sermon text is Psalm 73, uh, some of which we just sung. Uh, So turn with me to Psalm 73. A Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For when, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. Their scoff and speak with malice. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. And their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, you rouse yourself. You despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, 
Our hearts and our minds are fickle. We, we see things all around and, and we're distracted and we want them, but there is one thing, God, and that is You. So bring us to a point, God. Let us see what this psalmist has seen that he can genuinely say that there's nothing on earth that I desire besides You. God, bring us to a place where we want You and You alone. You do this through Your Spirit moving through Your Word. And we ask that You would do that in this time. Amen. Amen. Uh, this is uh, some time ago with some friends of ours. They invited us to go... Sorry there. Invited us to go hiking with them on Zion National Canyon. And it was kind of the, the, trips, uh, the trip of the almost, we called it. Um... We almost uh, made it to the top of Angel's Landing, uh, which we didn't because we were delirious. Uh, we almost totaled the minivan by taking it off-roading on some boulders, but the only way to get back, not going over the boulders again, was to drive through the woods, completely destroying the minivan, but somehow getting away with it. And then we had the, the trip of the almost was that we almost had enough water. We start up at higher elevation, it's arid, desert-like, and we're hiking along. We get halfway through day number one, there's one overnight. Day two, you're down back in the canyon. Halfway through day one, somebody, who shall go nameless, forgot to grab the extra water that was in the car. So we have one Nalgene for two days to make it through, and it did not go well at all. We finally, by God's grace, I mean, we're dizzy and delirious at this point. Uh, we have Judah, who's six weeks old, and uh, but God kept us. And we were hiking with our friends. We make it down into the canyon, and there we saw it in all of its radiant glory, the water spigot. And we came to it, and we just threw ourselves under it, and we start drinking like a bunch of savages who have never encountered anything so great. And we even, while our friends were drinking, we had a tour bus that was going by. And they stopped to watch the, our friends go like, like a bunch of beasts, uh, trying to devour as much water as they could, as if these, 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 you know, beasts were part of the attraction that they had, uh, come and traveled to see. And in these moments, water, it satisfied us. All of our desires was that. That's all we wanted. And it satisfied us in that way. But as you know, it's not that easy. Where can you turn? Where can you turn to have all of your desires fulfilled? That's where we're going to be looking at Psalm 73 and it's this, this beautiful movement. And see, the main idea that I want us to kind of pull out of the text is that God, God will satisfy all of your desires. He will satisfy all of your desires. I don't know what you're thinking right now. You're going, well, you obviously don't know some of my desires. Um, God's going to satisfy that. We'll get to it. First part, the first movement we see is that we see these people and they're trespassing in the garden. They're going somewhere that they don't belong. Verses 1 through 15. 
He's, the psalmist is lamenting as he sees them in all of their radiant glory, enjoying life. They're trespassing in the garden. So verses 1 through 15. And then 16 through 22 there, we see this encounter with God. The psalmist, he, he pulls it away from there and he encounters God in his sanctuary, like we sang about in, in our first song this morning. He sees the Almighty. And then finally, we see that it's not them trespassing in the garden, but actually we're welcomed into the garden. And that's where God will satisfy all of our desires. So let's get, let's get started here. Verse 1, let's just read verses 1, 2, and 3 here. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Okay? But it goes on. But... As for me, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And here's a man well acquainted with his own heart and he is lamenting it. And he begins where he should with the goodness of God. He said God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. But, and so he's saying, I, I see that abstract truth over over there. Okay, God is good, uh, but I'm over here. To be honest, I'm I'm falling. My feet have almost stumbled, and my my steps had nearly slipped, as if we're a little bit closer to the Hebrews, as if we're like water on unstable ground, flowing around flowing around. And even though God puts forth, or He puts forth this, this premise or this idea, this fact that God is good, it's... This simple fact alone isn't... Seems like it's not enough because He sees the narrative. How can a, a fact just turn over this whole narrative that He sees in other people's lives? So if God's good, okay, but what about them? Or what about me? So I see those around me and I was, I was envious of, of the arrogant. And the, the arrogant is actually the, the same root as that they'll use in praise of God. It's only directed towards yourself. Of the arrogant. Halal. And I looked around and everyone who is wicked, I think they seem to be prospering, quite frankly. And we see them and we struggle. And we, we have to keep the right perspective. This is not, this is not a pagan psalm. This is a good, righteous man. Asaph, he was, uh, he's appointed by, uh, David. You see this in 1st Chronicles 6, 2nd Chronicles 5. He's also used by Solomon in the temple. In the temple. This is a man working in the temple, commissioned by the king to lead the people of God in song. So when he sees the wicked, it could very well be the other people working in the temple with him. Well, that cuts a little closer to home, doesn't it? So at the core, you see how he's struggling with the goodness of God and the providence of God. It's good when God is good to me. I like that. Uh, but what about the wicked? And you see here the struggle in him and in his heart as he's seeing this and he sees the wicked prospering. 
And it brings, it kind of makes you ask, is God really good? Well, just look at them. Verse 4, look at what, look at what they have. They have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek, meaning they actually have enough food. You go to Cambodia as uh, Rachel went, and if one of their members uh, that went with their team was a little heavier, and uh, some of the Cambodians would come up and shake his belly and call him blessed. Because, wow, you have food. It's the same thing here. It's, it's their, their, their bodies are fat and sleek. Oh, they actually have enough food. And they're, they're not in trouble like the others. They're not stricken like the, the rest of mankind. They, they have no cares of the world. They seem to be doing alright. I work, I have an honest job. And I work hard and I'm filled with trouble, but it seems like they have none. Therefore, the pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice loftily. They threaten oppression. It seems as though they have everything, doesn't it? They're beautiful. They're wealthy. And the worst thing about it is they know it. And they're prideful and they're arrogant about it. And then they go on and they they set their mouths against heaven. You see this in verse 9. The very mouths that God had created in their praise. Remember this arrogance that's supposed to go forth to God. Uh, no, it's going towards themselves and they cry out against the heavens that should cause them to worship. And you see that. You have to be honest with yourself. You go, yeah, I want it. We see the wicked prospering. And part of us longs for it. Can we, is that okay to say? Can we be honest here? Is that fine? So example, the girl you knew in high school who, who gave not one thought about saving herself from marriage or anything like that. Well, you know what? Yeah, she's, She's happily married and she has three kids and her beautiful husband just bought her a new minivan. And, and again, the worst thing is she looks happy, right? That's what, that's what really grates at you, if you're going to be honest. Or the, or the guy who has absolutely no clue who you brought up through the system at work, you trained him, and then who gets promoted? It's him. He doesn't know anything but what you taught him and he only knows half of what you know, but he gets the promotion. And then and, and he shows up and he actually acts like he deserved it. And we tell ourselves, so this is the mind game we play, we tell ourselves, oh, they're not actually that happy, right? They're not actually that happy. And I can't speak for you, but for me, sometimes it's just kind of a cop-out, Really? We can't allow the providence of God to actually bless them, the wicked, and have them be happy. Especially when I'm not. But to be honest, you go past your bar and you hear the clanking of the glasses. Ah, 
They're having a good time. And if you have to be real with yourself to this level, if you want this psalm to impact you. In churches, we're wonderful at being superficial with other people. And sometimes we're just as good being superficial just with ourselves. Wrestle through this. Wrestle through this. So we see them and all of their success. And to be honest, if they were Christians, we would go, wow, they must be holy rollers because God is blessing them greatly. But the, the psalmist is presenting them as someone who's actually going to lead you into bitterness or skepticism or sin. So when you understand the world around you, when we need to understand this, what do we do? Just take a step back and start in the garden and work your way on from there. Use the Word of God to understand this, this narrative before you. Not your own life, not your own perspective. Use the Word of God. So with this story and this framework, you see here these people are. They have the blessings of the garden. It's as if they are living in a pre-fall condition. You recall Adam and Eve where they sinned and then they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And that's where we live our lives. We're tilling the ground to try to get food. We're digging wells. Try to have some water for our families. And then you, you just come up to the garden, you kind of pull apart the hedge and you look in and you see the wicked in there enjoying everything of the garden. Eating all the fruit they want, drinking of the fresh water, the fresh streams. And they don't have a care in the world. But they have no right to be there. None. They are trespassing in the garden. So when Adam and Eve are kicked out, when we are collectively kicked out of the garden, there's only one way back in. There's a a flaming sword being held by an angel. And it is Christ and Christ alone who has opened up the way. Who has taken the flaming sword of judgment upon Himself. That's why He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way back into the garden. So, but here they are, trespassing in the garden and trespassing on the goodness of God. But if, if we're merely religious on the outside without inside transformation, this is our response. Look in verse 13. All in vain I have kept my heart clean. And wash my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. Verse 15. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And this is the response of the religious. You go, have I done all of this in vain? Everything I've done, I've tried hard to keep the rules. But the wicked... Be honest with myself, they have everything that I want. I'm trying to do it the right way. I, again, going back to earlier, I saved myself from marriage. Now, it looks like I might not get married. Great. 
To be honest, I, I try to be honest with my business, and then I get taken advantage of. And this is where many of the church, we just stop right here. Verse 13. That's where we stop. And then we either end up with bitterness, and you just continue on doing the right thing, so you think with bitterness, fantastic Pharisees, or you just give in and go, well, I'll have a little bit of the world then too. So, why are divorce rates as high within the church as outside of the church? Why is pornography just as relevant in this circle, not other churches, in this church, as it is outside? Because we tell ourselves, it is in vain that I have kept my heart clean. That's why. And this is where you many will end And this is where many will stay, growing in their bitterness. But the psalm doesn't end there, my friends. It doesn't end there. The psalmist has this this glorious transformation. And what is it that brings about this transformation when he sees the, the wicked and all that they have and he's growing in bitterness and saying, is it vanity that I have kept myself? What is it? Well, let's go on. Verse 16. When I thought of how to understand this, it seemed to me too wearisome of, of a task. Until, verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. This is what's changed everything for the psalmist. He went into the sanctuary of God and encountered the living God. And this, this is the hinge point that changes the, the whole psalm and hopefully will change your heart as well. That an encounter with God is what brought, has brought this change about. So his focus has changed from period, like opening, remember opening up that hedge and seeing the people trespassing in the garden and wanting that. Now he's opening up the veil and seeing the face of God. This is where we should be. Don't waste your time over here. You need an encounter with God in this magnitude. And how did it happen? In the sanctuary of God. Something he had been doing his whole life. So if you're saying, I want that, I want that, I want that. It's not some spiritual journey off to Jerusalem. No. It's the ordinary thing. He went into the sanctuary that he had gone into his whole life. He works in the sanctuary. Do you want this? Come to the sanctuary. Go to church. Read your Bible. Pray. It's through these ordinary means that this extraordinary God will show His face to you. That's how he's been doing it for thousands of years. You're not going to find some better way to do it than a humble devotion to the Word of God, to prayer, to gathering with the people of God. And while he's in this sanctuary, God shows him the end of these wicked people. It's terrifying. These living idols that he wants. We say we don't have idols. They're often living. Verse 18. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. Verse 19, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. 
Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as fathoms. Go back to verse 2. Look up to verse 2. Whose feet does he think is stumbling? Whose steps had, had nearly slipped? He thought it was him. He thought that it was his soul that was going to falter and fail because of the envy and the jealousy within him. But actually, it's not us. It's them. The ones that we're idolizing. They look stable and secure, don't they? That's what we want. But you see that they will surely fall. Not only will they fall, they will fall into the hands of an angry God. These are the people that we envy. And quite frankly, God sees them differently. Very differently. He will make them fall to their ruins. The very ones that set their mouths against heaven will be cast down. And they will be destroyed in a moment and be swept away by utter tears. So one, one point. Do you see how dreadful this is for them? They may be enjoying it now, but the psalmist is painting this picture as if they're, they're climbing on the cliffs above the raging sea. And it's only a matter of time until they slip and fall down into this raging judgment of God where they will be swept away and never seen again. My friends, if you are not in Christ, that is you. You can have all you want. All the joy you want, all the, the promiscuity you want. You can swipe right all you want. You're just climbing on a cliff above a raging sea and you will fall in to the judgment of God. To take this time, this very moment, to come out of there and seek the face of God and don't fall into the raging judgment, but fall into His love, fall into His grace, fall into the arms of Christ and find forgiveness there, my friends. Number two, do you not see the depravity within our hearts? Brought me to tears this week that I actually envy those who have set themselves against God. That I want to be like that? When I have this envy and this jealousy, I am declaring that Christ is not enough. I want what they have. One of you pointed out that it, we're like sons and daughters of the king feasting at his table. And we see the riders outside the gate. And we want to go be with them, live in squalor with them. And we have a seat at the table with the living king of all kings. Friends, we have, we have no idea the depths of our own depravity. The psalmist, he puts it this way. Verse 21, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in my heart, I was, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast. You made me in your image, God, but I was like a beast towards you. But it doesn't end here. 
we, we see how God is going to deal with those people, but, and how He's going to deal with them and their hearts, but what is He going to do with us? What is, how is God going to deal with His people? Well, let's keep going here. Verse 23. And we'll go through the end here. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you receive me into glory. Who am I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone, everyone who is unfaithful to you. Verse 28. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So this psalmist has encountered the living God in the sanctuary, seen His face, and his eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. And his life is changed. You see it in these verses. And if you have this, if these verses here sink down deep into your soul, your life will be changed too. It is God that is holding you on your right hand. It is God that is guiding you. It is God who is going to receive you into glory. And when this begins to settle deep down into your earth, into your, into your heart, you know that when you look along the earth, God, you just say, there is nothing. There is nothing that I desire besides you, God. And it's not a Sunday school answer. It's coming and pouring out of the heart. So let me explain what's happened here. Remember, these guys over here, they're trespassing in the garden, eating everything of the garden. But when we encounter God in His sanctuary, He invites us into the garden. And when we are there, we realize that we don't care about the things of the garden. Why? Because when we're in the garden, we have God. So that's why he's able to say, my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And this is the the switch that you need to make as we go throughout this world. There's still much of the garden that's surrounding us, and it's easy, and it's pleasing to the eyes, isn't it? And we go to it rather than feasting on God. But don't you see, my friends, how much of our lives that we simply, we waste. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. We might have it in part now, but we will have it in full glory later. But we spend our lives so often endlessly chasing the very things that God will give to His people. He will give it to you. Maybe not now, but in glory you will have everything that your transformed, not your depraved, your transformed heart will desire. We should be running to God. as whom we should be running to. So the, the more we're enchanted with the things of this world, the less your heart by 
just by mere fact, the less your heart and your affections and your desires that God has given you to cry out to Him. They're just filling it with this stuff of the garden that He made for you to enjoy. So do we enjoy it? Yes! We enjoyed it as something that's a blessing given to us by God, but if He takes it away, it's no trifling matter. It's, it is, it's, it's nothing. Because we have God. And that is the message that we go out and proclaim to this world. God will satisfy your desires, all of your desires. And He's never going to do it by giving you more fruit from the trees of the garden. God's going to satisfy you by giving you Himself. Your heart will be restless and longing until it finds rest in Him. So the psalmist then concludes, but for me it is good to be near God. He's back in the garden. He's with God. He's seeing the face of God. But for me, it is good to be near God that I have made the Lord God my refuge. So redemption, come. Come. Come into the sanctuary of God. Encounter the living God. Don't trespass in the garden, but come and be welcomed into the garden. And when you're there, the things of this world, they won't matter. Because you will have the living God who has created them all and has created you to fellowship with Him forever. So let's pray. Heavenly God, give us eyes to see Your glory. Your glory is not fading and waning. It is not a wick that is being turned down. God, Your glory is as radiant now as it's ever been, but our eyes do not see it. Our hearts are hard, God. Soften our hearts. Open our eyes. Open our minds to behold Your glory. That as we are gathered here in this sanctuary, God, let us see Your face as we come and worship You, God. And let us come to You and to You alone to have all of our desires satisfied. Amen.